Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, our teaching is going to come from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the ninth verse. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the ninth verse. Let's read from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9. All you who bring good tidings to Zion, get up to the high mountain. All you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Hallelujah. May God speak to us today in the most remarkable way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here the prophet has picked a very wonderful line of revelation. And he says, you who bring good tidings to Zion, get up to the high mountain. If you're a carrier of good news to Zion, get up to a high mountain. Zion is a place of good news. The gospel is the good news. Do you understand what I'm saying? The gospel is the good news. What makes it the good news is because it's the revelation of the salvation of God. It is the wisdom and power of Jesus Christ that display for the redemption of mankind, the propitiation of our sins. He came the Bible says that we might have life and have it to the fullest abundantly until it overflows. That is the testimony of Jesus' ministry on the earth. The gospel is good news. It is supposed to be good news. It's not otherwise. And Zion is a place of good news, a bearer of good tidings. The Bible says you have come to Mount Zion. That's where you've come. That means you have been invited to a place of good news somebody shout hallelujah you have been invited to mount zion and to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in what heaven and to god the judge of all to the spirits of just men made perfect and to jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. That's where you've come. You've come to a place of good news. And because you have come to a place of good news, you are supposed to have good news. Somebody shout hallelujah. Your life is supposed to be a testimony of good news. Things might go otherwise and it's understandable. But the end of all of this must be, should be, will be good news. Are you following what I'm saying? 
But the Bible has given us an antidote here of the challenges and pain and frustrations that we go through. And he said that if we have to transition to a place of good news, we must get up to the high mountain. This high mountain is a sort of what? It's a sort of metaphor, or you could call it an allegory. It is supposed to be a symbol, a visible symbol to explain and abstract what? Idea. And the Bible is full of many things. When the Bible says the rock from which you are hewn, he's not talking about a stone, stone, stone. He's talking about who? Jesus Christ. But he is represented in a visible symbol. Are you following? The Bible is full of allegories. I'll give you another example of allegories. Sarah, the Bible says, represented mountain Sinai, which is the place where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. In Galatians 4.24, the Bible says, which things are an allegory for these two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Eger. And this Eger is Mount Sinai in Arabia, answers to Jerusalem, which is now in bondage with the children. So Eger, I think, represents the what? The other mountain. And then Sarah represents what? Zion. Are we following? So there are different allegories in Scripture. And this is one of them that this thing you call mountain has a representation, another interpretation beyond what we are able to what? To directly interpret, especially if you have not studied the Bible for a long time. And that's why I want to help you to understand. Okay? That's why I want to help you to understand. Why sometimes God speaks in such a language? Again, that's what makes him God. We don't question that, but there's wisdom in that also. Now, if a man should be a bearer of good news, God said that man has to have some sort of lifting to a higher plane. In here, they use the word a high mountain that we can never connect to the work of God and the fulfillment of divine purpose until we learn the pattern of ascending into higher places in God, into elevated graces in God. Somebody shout hallelujah. That the lower you are spiritually, the less you are able to have an effect, an impression to change your destiny when you're under any sort of challenge. Fundamental question. When you are in trouble, when you are dealing with a sickness, when you're dealing with a marital issue, when you're dealing with an attack in ministry, when you're dealing with a health issue, whatever it is, the challenge is, you're dealing with a stubborn teenager, when you're dealing with a crazy sibling, and all of that is all challenge. And then you pray and fast and do all you know to do and still fail to get an answer. What do you do? This is the conversation that God is inviting us tonight. Somebody shout hallelujah. I learned this many, many years ago and it has helped me find answers every time I'm under some sort 
of trouble. It has helped me find solutions. And I know that it should help you find solutions as well. Like I said, mountains in this narrative are places. They represent higher places. Higher places. And if you are to think from a physical perspective, when somebody goes on a mountain high, okay, what happens? When the altitude rises, when they go to a higher altitude, they are able to see further. They are able to design further than they are when they are on the ground. Because it's a place of what? Of vision. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 121, if you read uh, from the Amplified Version from the first verse, this man David, like many other people have gone through, went through betrayal from friends, he went through frustrations in life. He lost kids. He, uh, you know, his children, Absalom at one time turned against him. He went through quite a lot. He fought many battles. You remember the wars that Saul had against him because of the blessing of God upon his life. He went through so much. And many of the things this man went through are not far from what many of us in some way have gone through. And when he was in that trouble, he said, I will lift up my eyes to the hill around Jerusalem to sacred Mount Zion. If you read Amplified Version, it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hill around Jerusalem to sacred Mount Zion and Mount Moriah. He says, from hence shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He's saying, when I'm getting to a point where I am stuck and I don't know what to do, I realize that I need to ascend to a higher place with God, whether Zion or Moriah. I need to connect to something higher. Why? Because I need to get a vision of what God is really up to and what he is doing. Because many a times when we go through trouble, we tend to lose our vision of what's really happening spiritually. And many of us, if we don't know how to deal with those things, we even lose it deeper. And it happens to many of us in many ways beyond uh, what I'm able to express tonight. And the man said that sometimes you're going to wake up and you're overwhelmed by issues. It's not new. Everybody goes through that. But get to a point where you will learn that your eyes have to be lifted because God wants you to have the right vision concerning what you're going through. I'll give you an example of a man called Joseph. Joseph is loved by his brother, and then he has a coat of many what? Many colors, and then he's betrayed by his brother because of the favor that he has with his father. And the next thing we know, he's uh, being sold into slavery, taken to prison later on from the house of Potiphar. And if Joseph had a very short vision concerning the will and purpose of God in his life. He would think, ah, I'm a rejected man. Ah, why would they hate me? He would feel rejected. He would feel unloved. He would victimize himself like many of us find ourselves doing when we're in trouble and we don't find answers. It was a place of confusion. He was disconnected from his father and family at an early age. He never saw his mother again. He had to be sold into a nation and try to become a man. Who taught him how to become a man? What was he to do when he found himself in prison for being accused to rape a woman or attempt to rape a woman whom he did not rape? 
You see what I'm saying? But it takes the vision of God for us later to understand that God had something way bigger in plan. That is why later when his brothers appear to him, he tells them, do not grieve, for God sent me before you to preserve your life. I was sent as a preservation of your posterity and the salvation of your life and the years to come. That was the bigger picture. That a man could go through all of that, but he was not going through all of that because there was a devil in the middle. Or if there was a devil in the middle, the devil was of no consequence. God had a bigger plan for this man eventually to bring answers and to preserve that nation. And to do that, he had to let this man go through all of that. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The list is endless. If you read stories in history, you will see what the Isaiahs went through. You will read and see what the Samsons went through. And all of these men went through places where it almost looked like it was an end. But there was a bigger picture of God wherewith they had to come out triumphant. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called the faithfulness of God. Give him a mighty hand of praise. You see, when you have not understood the faithfulness of God, which actually is a very distinct sign of maturity, when you have not understood the faithfulness of God, it is easy to faint in your time of trouble. It is easy to faint when you're going through pain. It is easy to faint when you're going through sickness. It is easy to faint when your marriage cannot work. It is easy to faint when you have prayed and prayed and prayed and don't seem to find answers. Again, this was a lesson for me. The Bible says, God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able? To doubt that is to doubt the faithfulness of God. To understand and mature and, and relate with this God and know how he works. To tell you, I am faithful enough not to let anything that could bury you come to you. It means that there was already a pre-arranged victory for you before this attack came on your life. Oh, you know, I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me with diabetes. Uh, apostle, why me? Uh, what demon is disturbing me? Maybe open your eyes and see the other side of it. That God is not unfaithful to let anything that you're not able to come to you. That's not God. You can rely on the faithfulness of God. I don't care how bad this is. You can rely, but He is faithful who will not tempt you and let me tell you something do you know why that first line says there's no temptation taken you but that which is common to man God is saying there is nothing you're dealing with that somebody in the world has not dealt with it's not new sometimes you can go through stuff and think ah you know God this is unique no there is none unique about it everything you're going through somebody has gone through or even worse and beaten it Why should you lose? Understand the faithfulness of God. If it came to you, he only knew you could handle it. 
That's why Paul says that I joy in my infirmities or in my weaknesses. He says, when I'm weak, I am so joyous. Why would a man celebrate in his weakness? Because the Bible says that the power of Christ may rest upon him. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, every time I see the attacks that have come my way, it is a sure sign of how strong God has made me. Maybe it did not go to that brother because God knew that that brother would not handle it. Maybe it did not go through on that sister's life because he knew that that sister would not handle it. But the fact that God would look at me and say, Grace, you can go through this. I rejoice in my infirmities because for every weakness that I've gone through life, there was a voice telling me that actually this was your strength. The devil attacks your strengths, not your weaknesses. And wherever weakness is, is a sign of how much you are able. There are things some of you have carried in your body and some people cannot carry in a week, they'll die. There are things that some of you have carried in your mind and if some people carried them for a month, they would run mad. But you're still sober driving on the road, reading the lights red, and then you stop and grin and the car continues. It's already enough strength that you have not rammed into a wall and died. You are able! But you have to trust the faithfulness of God. It's a place of total surrender because it will rid you of pride. Let me tell you, it takes so much pride not to trust in the faithfulness of God. But some pride is hidden. Like there is false humility, so there is pride. It's false humility. Sometimes pride appears as false humility. Oh, no, no, no. It can't, it can't. God cannot change it. Oh, so can you change it? Do you know it is pride to refuse to yield to God? Because you're telling God that you'll fix it your own way. And then you try to do solutions to fix you. And then you continue hanging and sinking. You either hang yourself or you sink. And the more you try to fix it, you're like a, an insect in a cobweb of a spider. And the more you fight out, the more you are being entangled because you're fixing things on your own terms and language, not the way of God. And many Christians are like that. They are bound as a result of their human effort and responding to the things of the Spirit carnally, continuously. So you're fighting in a wave and you're continuing to tie yourself up to a point where you'll not even be able to move your head and you're going to blame the devil or God. Unfortunately, they blame God. Why? You have to learn to totally surrender. One man sang and said, So let go my soul and trust in him the webs and wings still know his name so let go my soul and trust in him the webs and wings still know his name he
trust in the faithfulness of God. Because I know people who go through that and they take poison and say there's no reason for me to be alive. And I understand if an unbeliever did that but I don't understand how somebody so expensively paid for can find their life worthless. It's because some of us don't have a vision of God. The Bible says, brethren, let us consider the sufferings, the tests of our brother Job and the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So because of that, he says, we count them happy, which endure, because we see the patience of Job and the end of the Lord. God will finish it on your sight. You will end well. You have to trust in his faithfulness. You have to trust in his faithfulness. One man sang and said, But I don't know what the future holds. Who does that song? Still, I know I could trust your faithfulness. You see that? Then he says, Sudden as a mother's tender love. Like the, the, the love a woman has for her child to know that there is no day she would not give her life huh? for her child. God says, you can actually trust me more than a woman's love for her child. He says, You can trust me more than a woman's love for her child that I am faithful. That's why we have things like Romans 8.28 in the Bible. He doesn't say we hope. He doesn't say we pray. He says, and we know that all things work together for 
good to them that love God and are called according to His purposes. Everything will be okay. I don't care how bad it is. We shall be fine. You must tell your house. We shall be okay. You must tell your children. We'll be okay at your workplace. Tell them there is an answer. We can trust the faithfulness of God. He says, oh, but some people have died out of this. Some people have failed out of this. Oh yes, you don't know what was in their heart and whether they trusted that God or not. Whether they trusted in His faithfulness or not. You cannot speak for everybody because everybody has a heart. But again, we also have many people, multitudes, who have tested the goodness of God and His faithfulness. We have people who can give testimony upon testimony of a day when everything was dark and there was no way out. And God still made... I, I don't know whether I have a witness. I don't know whether I have a witness. We have tested Him. We have proved Him to be true. Somebody shout hallelujah. So God is saying, the, the issue is not what you're going through. The issue is the vision that you have concerning what you're going through. Period. You just need an elevated vision to see what exactly is happening. Not what you assume is happening from where you are seeing things. When Jesus was at the cross at Calvary, what do you think was happening in hell? The devil and his courts were celebrating. We have defeated finally this guy. He's gone. He's done. He's not coming back. That's his end. Are you hearing me? I'm looking at Mary and the confusion. I don't know whether you can imagine as a mother, you're seeing your child is on the cross. They're crucifying him. They've maimed him. They've stripped him. He's bleeding and there is nothing you can do. That pain of a mother. Do you remember when George Floyd was killed? People gathered. And there was a lady that came in from a certain state. I don't know whether it was uh, Georgia or wherever. I don't remember very well. She came in and then somebody interviewed her and asked her, what are you doing here? And she said, when George Floyd was on the floor crying, mama, mama, reaching out to his mother, she said, everything in me of a mother felt that I should come and run to a man not because he was my biological child, but because I know what it's like to carry life. Are you following? She says, I know what it's like to carry life. That's why I came. That's why I came. Just to be here. Imagine what was in Mary's heart when her son is on the cross. Imagine the disciples, which many actually were younger. And that is why, you know, ancient texts tell us, Peter was the only mature who unable to pay taxes. The rest, the reason why Jesus didn't pay taxes for them, it was because they were younger. Huh? So these are teenagers, or some probably getting into 20, or something like that, and they have this hero. They abandon their fishing business for him. They abandon their families for him, and some were even lectured by their parents, like some of you at one point, you've been lectured, with everything we did to take you to school. All you do is follow that man. You are ever charged. You understand? Because they don't understand that you found something money cannot buy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
And I'm telling you, keep your priority with God. The only issue is also, I need to caution you, function in wisdom. Because this world also demands some things from you. You think you're going to be in the church every day and not earn yourself a living, get yourself some girl and marry her and raise yourself some kids. Then you're also under some spirit. We need to rebuke it. That doesn't mean that you're going to shun your responsibility of becoming a man or a woman, a mother or a successful business person because you're serving God. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'll add that wisdom to it, but Christ should stay your priority. It is a good thing to get to a level where your family members tell you that one, if you're looking for her, don't call her on Thursday, you won't get her. Now they know. They should plan around you. They should plan around you. They should know that if it's a Sunday, you don't compromise God. You know, some of you must also have some backbone. The day, the plan is the day they know you're going to church and then they put it there. What kind of spirit is that? No, 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 no. People should know that you don't compromise. My family knows. You can't wake up and put a program on Thursday. They know. Sunday, they know I'm supposed to be serving. They know, they should know. Like they asked Jesus, how come you're not with us? We have moved a day's journey. And he says, should you not have known that as in the house of my father? You should have known. You should have known that I was attending my father's business. Somebody shout hallelujah. But let's go back to what I was saying. David discovered that when I am stuck and I'm troubled, he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hill around Jerusalem. I need to look for a higher vision to get or understand what God is saying. What God is saying. And have you noticed that in many places where marks were placed and milestones of the gospel are usually have had some sort of connection with mountains. Why did Moses receive the Ten Commandments on a mountain? Why? Those of you who read the story of Noah, don't you know that eventually when the flood had gone down, the ship of Noah landed on a mountain? It was on a mountain. Was it Ararat or something? Huh? Was it? Yeah, I think it was Ararat. Why does it land there? Why do we see Jesus connected to mountains? Is it just physical or there's some spiritual interpretation? Are you following what I'm saying? So it is with this. In Psalm 61 verses 2, David repeats the mystery. Let's begin from verses 1. Amplified. He says, From the end of the earth will I cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed and fainting. So when he says, lead me to the rock which is higher than I, yes, a rock that is too high for me, he's saying, take me to a higher level of vision. Take me to a higher level of vision. And in this instance, the revelation of Christ. He's saying, take me to a rock which is higher than I. Take me to a revelation higher than I am able to what? To see. For you have been a shelter and refuge for me, a strong tower against the adversary. I will dwell in your tabernacle forever. Let me find refuge and trust in the shelter of your wings. The Bible says, Selah, pause and calmly think of that. This man is trying to look for a higher place to be covered because he's discovered that every time you're in some sort of trouble, 
any sort of trouble, look to the elevation of your vision. The mistake some of you do is you pray about something and then it doesn't change. Then the next day you pray about something. Then it doesn't change. Then two days, three days, one year, two years. And then somebody comes and tells you, you know, Apostle, I have been praying for three years, four years, five years about this thing. And I'm telling you, ah, that's not the way of the Spirit. God is not an unrighteous judge or a wicked judge. And they quote him from the scriptures of a, a certain lady. She was a widow who wanted the judge to plead her case. And then she kept going and going and going, asking that he would avenge her adversary. And then eventually the wicked judge says, okay, since you've come to me, even though I'm a wicked man and I don't fear God, no man, he was wary of a continuous word, tarrying, frustrating him. Then he says, okay, let me judge your issue. Now, when you read that scripture, the Bible says, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night to him. God is not saying that he's a wicked judge. God is not a wicked judge. He's trying to give you a picture to say, if a wicked man can eventually get tired and give justice to a widow, shouldn't I avenge? I think there's a version I read that had the word speedily. God intends to avenge you speedily. He intends to take you out of that trouble quickly so you don't struggle. I tell you that he will avenge them, them speedily. That means you are not meant to stay in trouble for years. If you have prayed about something once, twice, look at Paul. Paul has a messenger of torment from hell and then he has a thorn in his flesh. And the Bible says, this he besought the Lord three times. When he prayed about it three times, he knew this was not in the realm of rebuking. He had to ask God, what am I missing? Take me to a higher place of vision. Take me to a higher mountain of understanding so I can know exactly why I'm in this cycle of sickness. Are you following what I'm saying? But that's an example. And then somebody's praying for 20 years. God, God, this man. God, this man. I'll give you an example. You've been praying for a certain man to marry you. One year. You will avenge me. Who is your enemy? <laughs> Two years. Three years. Four years. Maybe if your eye was lifted, you'd understand that you're praying for the wrong man. You see, you're here saying, Farakwan, Farakwan, Lord. Prince Charming is here on a horse riding towards the castle to rescue you from the evil king. And you're asking, 10 years, you're praying for the same guy. I will wait 20. I will wait. You've become 40, 45, 50. Now we also have to pray for your eggs to reverse. Now you need a Sarah miracle. You're on this guy who is not even... What's wrong with you? Fire. Move on. You hear me? This girl is... I'm going to commit suicide. How do I live without you? What? <laughs> you. How do I... How? How do you live? Okay, leave those things for people in the world. 
Leave that for Celine Dion. How do you live without him? Some of you, you need canes. If I had the right, I would get a stick and tell you, lie down, lie down. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. How can you tell me you can't live without a man? What are all the single mothers in the world doing? Aren't they surviving? Come on now. Are you the only single woman? Are you the first to fall in love? Are you the last? Did you bring love? You are going to die and leave it here and other people are also going to fall in love and have crashes. But you are killing yourself. Some of you have time. You are wasting kingdom time. People are dying and you are killing yourself over. Mubambi, she loved him. Listen, you're not Jesus. You're not raised from the dead. You have to learn to understand. God is the only person you can't live without. Not a man. Flesh and blood. God can bring another one tomorrow. The world is full of men. But she's the only one. If she doesn't, I die. You know, I've heard also people who say, God, do this or I die. And I've rebuked people for importing prayers. You know, some of you like importing. You like importing. You import prayers. Eh? When you see a guy doing it, hey, give me this or I die. I say, no, you'll die. I'm telling you, some of you will die. Give me this man or I die. And God says, okay, this is not your man. You've refused yours. Come. <laughs> and you die at 25. Give me this job or I die. If that company did not exist, you'd not be here. Some of you should understand. Oh, I die. Ah, 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 ah. Don't sentence yourself. Yeah, even when I'm praying, I say, God, do this for me. But even if I don't see it, I'm okay. We shall go on. Ah. <laughs> Praise the Lord Jesus. Hey, we go on. If it didn't work, it's okay. We have another time. I still have the hours with you. I will learn and unlearn and do it better. I, I have no time to cry over spilled milk. If it has refused, leave it and move on. Trust his faithfulness. That somehow you'll find yourself somewhere but you're delaying your husband, your true husband, because you're sticking on this guy. You're asking yourself why you've lived with this man for 18 years and he's still promising you six years. I when we shall marry. What? You're producing children, we shall marry. Let me tell you, especially gentlemen, if you're watching me, can we fix that issue? You don't need a million dollars and a castle. You just need two witnesses. You're playing with a person's daughter, two years, 26 years, seven years, I promise you. Eight years, you are selling hope, 20. You're growing old. Even you women, start making some demands too. Where is brother? 
I have a price. Let's talk about this issue. Because some of you will wake up and you're 60 and he's still saying, we shall do it. Seventy, don't worry. It's coming. That's too much faith. You should have diverted it on something else. <laughs> you've had three children with her. What are you still looking for? Yes, you've tested and seen that the Lord is good. Move on now. There's a guy right now saying, No! I'll not leave you alone. And you'll come back to pray. You are joking. Somebody shout hallelujah. Yeah. Seven years. We are still talking about it. Isaac saw Rebecca once and said, uh, Adam saw and said, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You understand? Apostle Grace saw and... Uh, you understand? Why are you wasting time? Why are you wasting time? What are you still analyzing? I'm telling you, that is a sign that God hasn't yet spoken to you. And if God has not yet spoken to you, I feel sorry for that dear girl. If God hasn't even spoken to him, what are you doing again? I thought the Bible says that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is established. If he hasn't spoken to him, wait for him. Tell him, let me go back home. When the Lord speaks, you come for me. Have some boldness. Let me tell you women, by the way, I say this to my daughters always, you will be bought at the price you define yourself. Every woman has their own price. If your price is 2,000 shillings, they will buy you on the streets at two. If your price is a toy car or a Benz, a man will buy it for you. If your price is a house on Entebbe Road, there's somebody to pay it for you. If your price is beyond rubies, there's also a man who will pay. Somebody shout vision. vision. God should take you to the next level. Such that you see the next 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and fix things now for the sake of the next 10 years. Somebody shout hallelujah. John the Revelator in Revelations 21, if you read the Amplified Version from the ninth verse, he says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowels filled with the seven final plagues, those who are afflictions, calamities, came and spoke to me and he said, come with me. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, to give you context, John the Revelator saw the calamities and the plagues that were going to befall the earth. And then he had a question, where is the good news here? Where is the good news here? People are going to be destroyed and the earth is going to nothing. What is the good news here? So, an angel comes and tells him, come and I show you the good news. Then in the spirit, verses 10, he conveyed me away to a vast and lofty word. It has come back again. 
The angel took him to a vast and lofty mountain and exhibited to me, John says, the holy, hallowed, consecrated city of Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, clothed in God's glory in all its splendor and radiance. The luster of it resembled a rare and most precious jewel like jasper shining clear as a crystal. It had a massive and high wall with 12 large gates and at the gates there were stationed 12 angels and the gates names of 12 tribes of the sands and on the east gate, three gates, uh, uh, three gates and on the north, three gates and south, three gates and the east three gets now recently I was flying into Boston and there's a man who told the man of God who invited me he said I am the gatekeeper of this city I'm going to lock this man out I will lock him up I said eh? I don't know where I passed <laughs> maybe the gate was closed I went through a window but I entered Boston <laughs> some people don't understand He's not even a gatekeeper. I don't even think they can trust him with keys. <laughs> that is the truth. He can't be a gatekeeper. They can't even trust him to check who is at the gate. <laughs> and he says he's a gatekeeper. You know, one time I met a guy and he told me, you know, you need to come and see me. I'm the apostle of the city. Okay. The apostle of the city. You know, some of you have to learn not to title yourselves Ali. <laughs> learn to just tempt servants of God. Just the servants of God. It's enough to just carry that title. I'm the apostle of the city. What do you mean you are the apostle of the city? What do you mean? I'm the gatekeeper of all this district. Nobody gets here without to... <laughs> you have become good. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. The way districts are designed, nations are designed, is not the way the spirit realm is designed. And it's true, the spirit realm has kingdoms, but they are not based on the boundaries of men. Some of you, if we helped you even understand the maps spiritually of the kingdoms of this world, you'd find that certain kingdoms extend in boundary into certain nations because they are the same people. They were just divided by the British or the Portuguese or the Dutch in the conquests. So don't confuse your physical boundaries as the gates. Please, respect the word. Because these gates existed before Uganda was divided from King. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Territories where principalities rule are different. And if you're a spiritual warrior, if you're a praying man, God can show you the boundaries of certain territories. And until you define those boundaries, you cannot define a gatekeeper. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. But you see again, back to what I was saying. John the Revelator is carried, he's carried to a mountain vast and lofty and God needs to show him a higher vision for the hope of the world beyond the plagues and calamity that his eyes could see. In Psalms 24, verses 3, he asks the fundamental question, who shall go up into the mountain of the Lord? Who shall go up into the mountain of the Lord? Who has the access to such places? Who can ascend to higher places of influence, of affluence? Who can ascend to higher places of vision? 
elevated visions. Who has the grace to go there? Because not everybody is able to break to such places. And then he brings a list here. One who has clean hands. And that again is figurative. I'm not talking about dirty hands. You soiled your hands in the dust. And then you say, my hands are dirty. Do you remember when Pontius Pilate comes and the Jews want to crucify Jesus? And then he washes his hands and says that my hands are clean from this man's what? Life. Do whatever you will with him. It was a physical act but with a deeply spiritual implication. Why did he wash his hands? This is what he's talking about here. Clean hands. You see? They were going to touch the Lord's anointed. And Pilate said, I'm not going to do that. Because you see, this generation we teach grace somehow has failed to understand that grace does not take away the principles that God has set to run the world. It is given to enable us walk in those principles. There are men who know how to teach grace, but not many know the application of grace. They know how to teach it, but not many know the application of grace. It's one thing to say, I'm teaching grace. So you're under no condemnation. You're under no this. You're under no that. And all of that is good. And I preach it, I teach it. But the wisdom of application is another mystery. So because I carry the righteousness of God, does that mean that it disqualifies Psalms 24 now? No, it doesn't. You should understand what God means. A pure heart a pure heart. I have said to women, for example, that the Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtains favor before God. There is a way the heart of a wife has been designed by God. It's not the heart of a woman. There is a difference. That is why he said, he that findeth a wife. He didn't say he that findeth a woman. He said, he that findeth a wife. There's a difference between a woman and a wife. If a man does not see a wife in you, but he sees you as a woman, beautiful, he'll only use you. He cannot marry you. Because they don't marry only women. They marry wives. And there's a process from being a woman to a wife. That process goes through some sort of purification. Like not every man is a husband. That's why Paul didn't use the word obey your men. <laughs> he said obey your husbands. Not all men are husbands. There's a process from just being a boy and just being a man with your inflated ego and then becoming a husband. It's a process. And there's a purification that you will go through in the heart to love someone unconditionally. Do you know what that does to your heart? 
to submit unconditionally? Do you know what that does to your heart? And the dear woman for 20 years is praying for her husband. And God's saying, let me elevate your vision. Woman, your problem is not husband. Your problem is that when a man meets you, he does not see a wife. So, you're going to go to conferences, break generational curses, <laughs> cast things that don't exist, put chains on you that were never even there in the first place, spend the whole overnight, go shanda, go to churches of single pastors hoping that they'll see you, then when that one gets married, you shift, then you go to another one, and then you join the choir immediately, then you also get married, you shift, so you have a list. And as you grow older, they become scarce and scarce and scarce. And at one point in age, you stop going to church because they are no longer in church. Then you ship yourself, some unbeliever, and say, you know, enough is enough conference. I was in the enough is enough conference. <laughs> and then you break divine purpose. And say, Apostle, we shall see from there. But where did we begin from? What you were to become was a process. And your heart needed some sort of purification. God needed to deal with you. I'll give you an example. One time I was dealing with a minister who told me a vision that God had given him. I don't know whether it was of God or not, but it was big. And I cannot argue. But I had lunch with this man. And sadly, out of too much pity, the Spirit of the Lord told me, I cannot give him what he's asking for. His heart is lifted in so much pride that if I gave him what he is saying, he would be destroyed and he would destroy many. Since then, that man I know has started three churches and they are falling to zero. Then he starts again and they fall to zero. Very gifted man extremely gifted in the prophetic and many things, but he can't sustain a ministry. Because there's a humility that God requires for you to run a ministry. With all these mad people you deal with, oh my goodness, ask us. One time a girl abused me. She just woke up and said, you are crazy. and then she gave me some long crazy word. I've had to first turn and make sure there's another one there, I tell you. It dawned to me that I was actually the one. I walked away and I went and said, God, how would my child do this? And then God told me, yeah, you, you accepted to take on the responsibility of being a pastor and of a big ministry. What did you expect? that a few people with a few slices of the loaf would not be there. And the English people call it, you know, there are some people, they're not half loaf. No. It's a full loaf of bread. No, no. If you are not born in the 80s or 70s, you don't understand it. Because some of us in the days of tip-top, you remember those days of tip-top? You could even sneak and get a slice eh? in an angle where they cannot tell. Ah, you were too born again at that time. No, some of us did it. You feel hungry and then you go and come one, two, three, four, 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 four. Okay, then you get out one slice and then. So, 
from a fight like a loaf of bread, you first marry her. Then you discover there's a slice missing. But you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. There was something. The woman had her issues. You didn't know. Then the day you get married, you annoy her, and then she goes on the glass and says, don't play with me. You're like, but she's in Fanero. <laughs> Somebody shout fire. Say far from me. So this dear girl was a few slices, not one, there were like three. <laughs> and God told me, yeah, but you have to pastor her. I honestly forgive her and I never spoke anything against her. Honestly, I forgive her. I honestly forgive her. Now, that heart to father her and be patient with her madness because perhaps one day she will be okay. Not many are ready for not many are ready for. Oh my goodness. We have the confused, the indifferent. The understanding, the ununderstanding. Those who can interpret, those who cannot interpret. The ones who are low maintenance, the high maintenance. You have to answer my call every day. If you want to be my pastor, you have to come to my home. If you don't visit my parents, if you don't come and wash my dog and clean my shoe, you're not a man of God. We have those ones too. Hey, praise the Lord. We have those ones who want you to preach a certain way. They're also there. No, 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 this is not how you teach. You have to begin from here. Listen, 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 Papa. Hey, hey. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, mm, mm, I'm listening, but I see the slice. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go, let's go. And you're still a what? They are pastor. <laughs> Glory to God, it takes so much patience. Even you leaders in your different fellowships, be patient with people. Committee leaders, be patient with people. A purified heart usually works with a clean conscience and perfect love, unconditional love. He says, who has not lifted up himself to falsehood or to what is false, nor sworn deceitfully. All of these things are deep. If I had time to teach each one of them, I've just touched a few. And God is saying, maybe your foundation is deceit. You began this thing on a foundation of deception, of falsehood. And this thing cannot move and neither can God take you higher because this foundation of falsehood cannot hold the height you want to go in vision. And sometimes God wants to tell you, can you break this thing from zero so I can actually speak to you? Can you first go back a bit and allow me to construct this thing right? He says, no, 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 God. I put so much here. Work with this. Work with this. They do it. Work with this. For God has to find a way, okay, can I touch here? And you say, no, 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 no. Don't touch that, eh? Touch the other one. They are dealing with God. 
You see, you have to grow up to realize this. That there is nothing, should be nothing important, most important to you than being in the perfect will of God and making your decision never to compromise that place. You'll have God's best. For me, I tell people it's either perfect with God or I'm not in. That's just how I work. It's either perfect with God or I'm not in. That's how I work because I did not come to this world to settle for mediocrity or less. And that's the attitude you must have with God. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, because once you descend up this mountain and the right vision comes, in the fifth verse, the Bible says, you receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And he says, this is the generation or description, he says, of those who seek him, who inquire of and for and of necessity require him. People who have learned to inquire of God. People who seek God right. See these things and understand exactly what I'm saying. This place is for seekers. Are you following what I'm saying? The Bible says, Who seek your face, O God of Jacob? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Now the gates again have come back, but again they are from the mountain, from where men are able to see. In other words, you cannot define gates with an inferior vision. Are you following what I'm saying? It's a bigger responsibility. It's a bigger place with God. I want to conclude this way. The total sum of everything I'm trying to tell you here is some of you have been dealing with falsehood. And the foundation of what you've built or are building cannot allow God to elevate you because it began wrong. Because God cannot bless a work of error. That's the truth. That's the truth. You phoned a man who was married to his wife. You fell in love with a man who is married in church. Now you've had children with him and things are breaking either between you and that man or probably the other lady is doing some witchcraft on you. I'm giving you real life experiences. I've seen this. And I want to ask this dear woman, you entered this marriage knowing that this man was married. You knew he will not or should not divorce his wife. You knew it. And then calamity has befallen you. And somehow you expect God to come through that. I find a way to fix it. By what? Killing the first woman? I asked one lady, when both of you pray, who does God hear? Oh, who should God hear? You? Now what if she says God kill her and then God hears her prayer? Some of you should understand. Know your value. Know it. This is hard, but you will love it and take it because it is truth. Know your value. Must you go after another woman's husband? You understand? You cannot believe God to bring you a man who is one alone, single. You can't believe. You mean in this world, God does not have that ability. I'm helping somebody. 
because you're making your house dysfunctional, you're messing up your kids too, you're raising up in places of questions. And some of you did it because you didn't know God. And I understand, I'm not judging you. Some of you actually deceived. The guy told you he wasn't married. And then after two, three children, you discovered the guy was. I'm not judging you kind of person because you discovered that later and probably you're still in it for your children. I understand you. I understand you. But today we're dealing with girls. Who know that that's number one? Me, I can be number what? Let's go. Let's go. Timothy, let's go. <laughs> ah, ah, no, 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 no. You're better than that. I said you're better than that. Yes. Where was the purity of your heart? And then you start having issues in your body, you start having issues in your family, you start having issues in your finances, but you have frustrated a bigger thing and it's what's really pursuing you. I tell you, under grace, under no condemnation, righteousness imputed on you. Hey, okay, continue. You'll understand why Ananias and Sapphira died. No, 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 seriously. We have to take the gospel serious. Choose God's best for your life. There's somebody, you have been dealing with something and it has refused to change. It has failed to go. You failed to find answers. Why? Because you have not asked God to elevate your vision. Ask him today. Tell him, God, what am I missing? What must I see? I learned this many years ago and I tell people, I'm one of the most correctable people before God. God tells me, stop this. I want to stop it. But there are times I've made decisions and gotten stuck in my own personal life. Personal life. And I go to God and I say, what have I missed? And then he elevates your vision and shows you this is what you missed. Ah, thank you. That you've given me the grace to see that. And then I humble and break and pray. And I start to see him shifting and correcting things in an amazing way. And tomorrow I'm where I'm supposed to be. And ladies and gentlemen, that's how we all walk. We have all made big mistakes. Some of us, if God was just there to expose everything we have done, I don't think would qualify. All of us here listening to me, for all have sinned. The only problem is you look so much at the weaknesses of others and not your own. But if you put a light on yourself, you'll understand that God has not dealt with us as he should. Again, that's the work of grace. But now you learn something. Sometimes it's not the repetition of these prayers. Sometimes it is the asking, where did I miss it? And some of you advise you, if you do it for so long and fail, look for your man of God. Tell your man of God, what did I miss? Some of you, we have answers. We're just waiting for you to ask. I'm telling you. You see, as you grow, when you become a man of God, as you continue growing, you get to the wisdom that even when you have an answer for certain people, they will not take it. They will not take it. And there's no pain for a father. Or some say, oh, you know, you have to tell him. Or if you tell him, you, you know, you save him. If you don't tell him, it's your fault. And for some of you, we try to speak in hidden sentences, like Jesus spoke in parables. Because we expect that you'll carry wisdom. 
Why don't you speak plainly? And let me tell you something. It takes a certain purification of a heart for a man to receive instruction plainly. Not every one of you we can actually tell you exactly what is wrong with you. Because your heart is so sheltered in carnality that we could actually lose you if we told you the truth about that issue. So, we have to be patient with you to grow until when we are able to tell you. It's called fathering. Some of you parents understand that your child can do something and you say, let me not address it now. I know where it's going, but let me leave it. When the time comes and it's right, I will do it because I might break them early and lose them. And it's the very painful place for a parent when you're waiting for that time. And it's also unwise to think that that time doesn't exist because then you have not yet understood parenthood. Even God is like that. There are things he will wait for you and say, I can fix this, but let me wait for her because she needs or he needs to mature to this place. And maybe then I will reveal this to him. And that's why I say, I tell people, my biggest fear is when I know that God has hid something from me out of the love to tolerate me as I grow. Mind then there is that I am losing something. I'm running out of time. I'm on behind schedule because it's waiting for me to mature. That's a dangerous place to be. I would rather he breaks me enough to mature that he can say it as it is and I'm able to take it because he knows I can take it. You see what I'm saying? I was telling people, somebody said, if I was president, I would arrest everybody immediately. And then I thought to myself, this one is speaking because of the power of the office to arrest everybody. But they're not speaking from the office of a parent or a father. Because when you're a father of a nation, you don't just wake up and arrest everybody. No. You try to restore. You try to... And people may never understand that because many of them haven't walked the life of parenthood. But I tell parents, you know, when you're dealing with a child who's dealing with drugs or addiction or what, you don't throw them to prison. When they brought your daughter the first day and said she had stolen something, did you take her to prison? Why? Because she's your daughter. And you're going to try and some of you even bail them out when you know they have stolen. Not because you condone their action. Not because you support what they are doing. But because as a parent, you're seeing better. And you're striving to get that out. And that wicked world will never understand when we are striving for men. Because they'll think you're complacent. You're relaxed. You're irresponsible. No, it's not that we're irresponsible. It's that we're also fighting another way. Because the world will deal with crime. We are dealing with sin. That's a deeper responsibility. I've seen men who are behind prison bars and they're incarcerated for years, but their heart is as wicked or even more wicked than the time they went in. Where's the salvation for such a man? That is why even prisons with condemned sections have tried to build rehabilitation in the condemned already. Because it's one thing to arrest a man, but it's another to deliver a heart, to heal a mind and restore it. That's another thing. And until you're a parent, you can never understand that. 
physically or spiritually. That's the patience with which we carry some of you. That's the understanding even when in your ignorance you can see and say, mm, this guy is making a mistake. But let me give him time. It doesn't mean that we don't know, we cannot see. When you're stuck sometimes, look for your man of God and ask him. Some of us have answers for you. <laughs> some of us have answers for you. There are people I see struggling and I'm like, mm, but this one, I have given many instructions, but in many ways I feel that their heart cannot take it. The day they break, I can actually tell them, your problem was actually here. It wasn't there. This was the real issue. But your heart was hardened toward God. From day one, you've been fighting God for so long. Somebody shout hallelujah. Speak to God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely deep in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing it. Pray. Your eyes upon Jesus. Pray for yourself. Talk to God. Talk to God. Talk to God. And the seas of the earth will grow strangely in the light. Oh. Talk to God. Turn your Talk to God. prayer for you in the name of Jesus. Father, for any man or woman tonight that has had questions of things that have refused to turn for some time, tonight your word has come that we just need an elevation of vision. Take us to a higher mountain. Convey us to a vast mountain. And may our eyes see the things we must see. So we'll eventually change the things that must change. I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice that may God help you. May he help you see what you must see to fix your finances, to fix your marriage, to fix your ministry, to fix your womb, to fix your mind, to fix the confusions 
in your world to fix the frustrations and indifference, to fix the strife and struggle, to fix the pain and sorrow. May God help you and uplift your vision. May he take you to the next level of understanding because when he does, you will not repeat that prayer again. And I pray that may you also, God, deal with the other parts of us that have had in our hearts to yield to you, our hearts, our thoughts, our foundations of falsehood and deception. To live one life and live another, we profess one thing, but our hearts are far. Help us. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God. Your word is light and it giveth understanding to the simple. It is healing and deliverance. It's redemption. We bless you because you've had our prayer. If you're sick in this room, any form of disease, I speak healing over your life. Every manner of disease I rebuke from the root in the name of Jesus. I pray for the reconciliation of things that are not one with you in your narrative. And I thank God. I thank God because he has heard our prayer in Jesus' name. Give him a mighty hand of praise. If you are here and you've never given your life to Jesus, repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory today I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior and born again Amen This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International For more information contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. And for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.